today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. The Jewish priests are getting saved because they're hearing about Jesus and they're connecting the dots that he was, in fact, the perfect lamb that takes away the sins of the world. You have to imagine the role of the priest was to help slaughter the animals, the sacrificial system, to atone for the sins of the people. And when the light bulb went off, they realized the one who died for our sins on the cross was the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. No longer do we need to sacrifice these animals because the blood of Jesus that was shed was good once and for all, for all time and for all people. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts. In the Old Testament, one of the primary duties of the priests was to make animal sacrifices to atone for Israel's sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he became the perfect sacrifice. The Lord's perfect blood covers our sin once and for all. In today's message, Pastor Gary teaches us that Jewish priests receive salvation when they connect the dots to discover that Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. When Jesus offered his life, he bore the punishment we deserve. His death brought salvation, forgiveness, and eternal life for those who believe. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for today's message from the book of Acts, chapter 6. This is the instruction from the 12. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Those are the two qualifications. And so they do. Now, please note that when they choose these seven men, and their names are listed there in verse 5, starting with Stephen. And Stephen is the guy who's going to get killed in chapter 7. So, you know, he, he becomes a very important person in, in the story here of Scripture. Uh, but if you notice the names, Stephen, I'm just going to read them again real quick. Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch. I want you to please note something. This is very important to note. Those are all Greek names. Now, why is that important to know? Who are the people doing the complaining? Look at your Bibles again. You're smart people. Look back up in verse 1. Who are the ones doing the complaining? The Jews from where? Greece. They're the Grecian Jews. So guess... Who gets to do the work if you complain? The Greeks. <laughs> My friends, that's been good advice for me in ministry, let me tell you something. Because I have a lot of people making suggestions. Some of them good, some of them not so good. But when they're good suggestions, you know what my answer is? Great, you get to do the work. Why? Because you, you brought out the idea, you know, and you're the one who's complaining about something. I didn't really want to do the work, I just want to tell you so you could do the work. No, that's not how it works. <laughs> The person who complains gets to do the work. I see it right here in the Bible. This is delicious. Because <laughs> it stops the complainers. Because everybody's got an idea. Like, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. You should. great. You want to fix it? Good, do it. 
You, you go to work and do it. And here are the Greek guys who get called to, to work because the Grecian Jews are the ones complaining. All right? And so these guys get chosen here to do the work. Now, I want to make sure that you understand this, though. This is the original seven men selected for the original deacon ministry. But we see later in Scripture that it actually changes a little bit. In that, women get included. Because in Romans chapter 16, verse 1, Paul commends a woman by the name of Phoebe. And he says she's been a great minister. And again, it's that word diaconia. And it also translates servant, because that's really what a minister is. A minister, you know, sometimes we kind of really put, you know, pastors, ministers on, on, a, on a, you know, a platform. Please, please don't put, put us on a pedestal, all right? Because it just makes us fall a lot further, all right? And so, you know, and people are like, reverend. You know, reverend. There's nothing reverend about me, all right? If you know me, if you know, there's nothing reverend about me. So, so here's the idea. It, sometimes we get confused that we think, you know, title means somebody special. No, it really, in its basic term, diaconia just means we're servants. Minister just means a servant. We're to be a servant. And Jesus modeled this, didn't he? He said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So, you know, in pastoral ministry, if we really want to follow the ministry of Jesus, we should be the first ones to serve and to help and just assist. But anyway, so here's what happens. So women get included because Paul says about Phoebe, she was a great minister. She was a great servant who attended to us in Paul's own ministry. And then we also see that the qualifications get jacked up from 2 to 12. No longer was it just full of the Spirit and wisdom. I want you to turn with me further in your New Testaments. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. I want you to see this because I want everybody to understand the, the role of deacons in the local church. And I'm going to share with you a little bit about our deacons here at Cornerstone so everybody understands what the ministry is about here as well. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, just keep going to the right a little bit after 1 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you'll come to to after Thessalonians 1st and 2nd Timothy. So 1st Timothy chapter 3. These are the 12 qualifications for being a deacon. Now some churches say also related to the women call them deaconesses. There's there's no feminine word for deacon. So a deacon is just a man or a woman in the local church who's a lay person who's just a lay person in the church who loves to serve other people, but they have to qualify. And here's the qualifications out of 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. Deacons, likewise, and if you read the verses ahead of it that we didn't, it talks about elders, overseers. So that's a different group of people in the church. But now, now Paul comes to the idea of deacons here in verse 8. Deacons, likewise, are to be men worthy of respect. We'll get to the ladies in a second, but look at first for the men. Men worthy of respect, sincere not indulging in much wine. And that's an interesting point, by the way, because when you compare in the Bible the qualifications for being an elder and the qualifications for being a deacon, two offices that are mentioned in the Bible for the local church, elders and deacons, the qualifications are almost identical with one exception. Elders are not to be given to any wine. The Greek word is paraonos. Para means near, oinos means wine. Elders, pastors are not to be given to any wine. Deacons, on the other hand, not to be given to much wine. You could be two sheets to the wind, just not three. You know what I'm saying? Stagger a little, but just know that you're supposed to still do your job. But anyhow, so, so that's really the only difference between elders and deacons is this in this area of wine. And, it, and it's just kind of funny to me because it's like, you know, deacons, don't indulge in too much. All right? If you're going to get a little, you know, smashed, just not much. But anyway, and not pursuing dishonest gain. 
And they, there's a deacon right there. And they, <laughs> and they must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience, and they must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. Okay, so it's a tall order. And then in the same way, they're wives. Now, these are women who would serve as deacons because, again, uh, literally it, some of your uh, footnotes might say deaconesses, but it's referring to women who also serve as deacons, not necessarily the wives of the, of the male deacons, are to be women worthy of respect and not malicious talkers, <laughs> but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife. There was polygamy back in those days, so be, be a man married to one woman and must manage his children and his, house, and, and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Okay? Then you can go back to Acts 6 now. So that's the qualification for being, for being elders. Now, when our church uh, was about... I think our church size when we were about 300 people. We were about three years old. We were about 300 people. And, um, and I remember feeling that sense of people are getting overlooked. Because I'm only one person. I can only minister to so many people. And a general rule of thumb in ministry, a general rule of thumb is that you need one pastor for every 100 people. If you really want to effectively minister to a flock, a pastor of a, of a small church that has about 100 people. By the way, the average size church in America is 86 people. Okay, so one pastor can generally manage a flock if it has 100 people or, or under. Um, and I remember when our church got to be about 300 people, and I just began to feel like there's just no way I'm going to be able to meet the needs and you know, attend to the, to the needs of people in our church. And I was actually reading through Acts chapter 6 and, um, and, and felt prompted by the Lord, it's time to start a deacon ministry. Uh, not, not to be part of the governing leadership of the church. That's never what deacons were supposed to be about. But lay people in our congregation who would serve and who meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy chapter 3, but who would serve with just a genuine heart for people to, to love on them, go to the hospital, help me make hospital visits, uh, go into their homes if they, if they need to, to, to minister to, to some serious situation, pray with people down at the altar, um, you know, just be there, be those lay people who will help serve. And so, you know, I remember choosing the original group of, of deacons that we had in the church. And one of the rules that I stipulated, because you do see men and women who both serve as deacons in the New Testament. One of the rules I stipulated was that the men will only minister to men and the women will only minister to women. And couples, if they're married couples together, then they will, marry, they will minister to married couples. But I, I wanted to be very sensitive to gender-specific ministries, okay? You know, no... no None of the mess that can be created when, when you try to do ministry, you know, to, to opposite gender. So men, you minister to men. Women, you minister to women. And I have to tell you that the Lord has, has always been so gracious to raise up a great group of deacons in our church. And I, and I don't typically use the term deacons to describe them. In fact, when I first started the ministry, the deacon ministry, I called them, and still call them to this day, the care team. The care team. Because if you come from a church where deacon means perhaps they run the church, uh, or deacons mean, di- that word deacon means different things to different people. So 
I, I have called our group the care team, but they are modeled after deacons in the Bible, and they follow the qualifications for deacons out of 1 Timothy chapter 3. But I felt like there's no better place than right here in Acts chapter 6 talking about all this than to introduce you to some who serve as deacons in the life of the church. Now, some of our care team members are here tonight, and you know, I asked Pastor Mike Emerson for give me some pictures so I can put them up on the screen. So some of you are going to be like, ah, I would have given you a different picture. But, but, we, <laughs> but we worked with what we had, all right? Because it was a last-minute thing that I, I said today. I said, hey, I need to put some pictures up so people know who are here to help serve you and who are here uh, as part of the care team ministry. So here we go. There's 22 in the life of our church, all right? 22 people who serve as care team members in our church. And I just wanted to, by way, this is going to be real quick. You may never remember their faces or names again. But I want you to know some of these people who may end up showing up at your hospital bedside. Uh, you know, the pastors still do these things as well, but we just need more people to help us in these areas. Uh, these are going to be some people that you might uh, be, you know, see down front who will pray with you on a Wednesday night and who will just follow up with you with phone calls. We get prayer requests constantly. They might email you, hey, I'm a member of the care team. So here's the first uh, half of the, of the team. Uh, and just reading their names in case you can't, we have... Uh, uh, these are all. These all happen to be married couples here. Abraham and Ellen Evans. Uh, next to them, going uh, left to right on the top row, uh, Admiral Kurt and Ann Kemp. Uh, next to them, Ryan and Kristen Capel. And then on the bottom row, uh, from left to right, uh, Dr. Greg and Karen Law. And then next to them uh, are Gray and Lori Luther. And next to them are Jim and Teresa McKenzie. And then the other half of our group, uh, reading left to right on the top, uh, Dan and Sylvia Quinones. And then next to them, Doug and Irene Rowell. And then next to them are Derek and Kay Spruill. And then on the lower row, we have Eric and Jenny Wells. And then finally, Scott and Marie Wheaton. So these are some great folks who serve. And these are all volunteer folks. They're not, they're not paid staff here at the church at all. These are volunteer lay people in our congregation. They, they, uh, most of them, unless they're retired, most of them have uh, full-time jobs. And so they, they do the work of the ministry with the care team uh, when they can outside of their own regular working hours to help minister to the flock here at Cornerstone. And I just... I just uh, want to uh, appreciate them and let you know who they are. And let's just take a minute to appreciate our care team. So we, we try to, you know, here at Cornerstone, you know, I take seriously, what does the Bible teach us about the, the early church and how can we follow the model of the early church? And this is one way, by having some great people on our care team. Now, I want you to notice back here in Acts chapter 6, the result of delegating ministry. Okay, the result of delegating ministry. That's what the 12 did. They said, okay, wait, we got to focus on the ministry of the word and prayer, which, which by the way, is, is obviously my passion to make sure I keep that priority, which is why I'm so thankful for the other pastors and our care team members and our elders who help share the responsibility of ministry. Because while I will still do those things from time to time, I will still make some hospital visits. I will still occasionally do a funeral here and there and do some of these things. I can't, I can't possibly minister. Look, Christmas Eve, we had over 7,000 people here. Okay. I can't possibly minister to the thousands of people here at Cornerstone 
and, and, do, and do ministry justice and also do the teaching justice. So I have to, more and more, as the, as the church grows, I have to just devote myself more and more to the word and to prayer and to the teaching role because God has raised up some wonderful people here in the life of the church who share the ministry uh, of, of, uh, you know, one to another. But I want you to notice from verse 7, here is the result of delegating ministry like this. Notice the gospel spread... The church grew and people got saved. And that's what it's all about. Look again, verse 7. So the word of God spread. The gospel, the good news, it spread because the 12 are devoting themselves to that part. And then it says the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. So followers of Christ, the church is growing. And a large number of priests become obedient to the faith. So people are getting saved. And not just any people. Notice that, the priests. The Jewish priests are getting saved Because they're hearing about Jesus and they're connecting the dots that he was, in fact, the perfect lamb that takes away the sins of the world. You have to imagine the role of the priest was to help slaughter the animals, the sacrificial system, to atone for the sins of the people. And when the light bulb went off, they realized the one who died for our sins on the cross was the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. No longer do we need to sacrifice these animals because the blood of Jesus that was shed was good once and for all, for all time and for all people. And so it's a wonderful thing here to see these priests who are coming to the faith. So that's the result of delegating ministry. The gospel spread, the church grew, people got saved. It says here in verse uh, 8, let's read on. Now Stephen... This is the same Stephen mentioned back up in verse 5, one of the first deacons. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Please note that, because I hear sometimes people say, oh, no, 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 only the miraculous stuff was reserved for the apostles. And when the apostles died, so did the miraculous stuff. Okay, I want you to notice Stephen is not an apostle. He's a deacon. He's just, you know, a lay person. In, in the New Testament church. But it says that he did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. So God can still work through people to do his miraculous work. And so miracles are still alive and well today. And I don't, I don't think at all that they diminish just because the apostles died off. Uh, God didn't die off. And so his work still goes on. And verse 9 says, Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Now, it mentions here the synagogue of the freedmen. You do some research on this group. It seems to indicate that these are Jewish guys. The term synagogue indicates that. And they are freed men because it indicates that they actually used to be slaves and they secured their freedom. So they are Jews who are ex-slaves, either under the Greek or Roman Empire, and they have secured their freedom. Some of them probably had to pay for their freedom. Some of them were granted freedom. But they formed this, this synagogue of those who were previous slaves and, and they call themselves the synagogue of the freedmen, and they just start picking a fight with Stephen. They're, they're just disputing with Stephen about the, the ministry of Jesus. That's what it's going to boil down to. Stephen is proclaiming the good news of Christ, and they take issue with him about it. And so they're just picking a fight, but I love it the way it says that they couldn't stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. You know, when, when you need to share your faith, trust the Holy Spirit to speak through you. Okay, I know some of you feel like, well, I don't know enough scripture verses to be able to quote, to be able to effectively share, and therefore I'm just not going to share. That's what the enemy loves everybody to think. You know, you, you have, it's, it's like you need to go to seminary before you can share your faith. Please, 
Seminary ruins people. I mean, don't, don't, you know, don't, I'm serious. Do you know that 70%, 70% of people who say they have a calling into ministry when they go into seminary, 70% of the people never go into ministry because there's something that begins to click. I'm not against education. I'm not against learning and any of that, but I'm simply saying that there's something that happens when people start to get a bunch of head knowledge and they don't translate it to the heart. And when it all becomes head knowledge and not heart knowledge, then you lose the relationship. It just becomes a regimented religious system instead of a real relationship. And so, you know, don't discount your, your ability to be able to be used by God to affect the life of another individual. Just pray and ask the Lord to speak through me. Give me the right words. Help me to say the right things and God will speak through you. God was speaking here through Stephen, and these guys couldn't stand up against him. And it says in verse 11, Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. And none of it's true, but they're they're just getting people to do this. Verse 12, So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. That's the Jewish ruling council of the Jewish leaders. Seventy, seventy men in all made up the Sanhedrin with the high priest as, as the, uh, the president of the Sanhedrin. And it says that they produced false witnesses. So they got, they got a few liars to get together who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place, the temple, and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs of Moses Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of of an angel. Now I know when you all had your babies, you know, your first child and you looked at that baby, you said, this is the face of an angel. No, it wasn't. Okay. It's it's messed up Plato. And by the way, by the way, you you I don't know if you know this, because our first child was born with a cone head. I've told you that story before because you know it was a long protracted delivery and so he came out with a literally a cone head. I was freaking out. The the doctors and nurses were like, oh this is fine. I'm like, not where I come from. This is not fine. But what I've come to find out is you have about an hour. If you don't like the way your child looks, you have, they're spongy. They're soft. It's like Play-Doh. You've you got an hour to, like, reshape their face for the rest of their lives. Anyway, your child is not a face of an angel. But Stephen, they looked at him and they saw it. You know why? Because he's taking on a countenance here. The glory of God is coming over him. And he's about to give them a speech here that is going to put them in their place. But unfortunately, it's also going to get him killed. What I love about Stephen is that he is a man who doesn't shy away from telling the truth even when the truth hurts and even when the truth is going to get him killed for saying it. Man, I want the boldness of Stephen. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying, hey, I just want to be killed one day but, you know, for sharing my faith. But I am, I am saying, you know, here he is at a place where his very life is in jeopardy for sharing what he's, what he's going to share here and most of us don't want to share what we need to share, and our life isn't even in jeopardy. God, give us the boldness of Stephen. Give us the courage of Stephen. Now, his, his speech is long. It's all of chapter 7 uh, up through verse 53, and then, and then they kill him uh, starting in, in verse 54. So rather than get into any of this, it's already... 8, 8.14. I'm just going to stop it here for the night, and then next week when we get together, we'll look at his speech. It's very challenging. He is going to rock their whole religious mindset, 
and he's going to end up challenging everything that they have put their faith in and he's going to get to the ultimate message which is of course Jesus There's much more to glean from the pages of Acts and the history of the early church, but we'll pause our journey through it for today. Join us next time as Pastor Gary continues to share the the power of the Holy Spirit with us. If you'd like to learn more about Cornerstone Connection, Pastor Gary, or the church these messages originate from, we encourage you to visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. Browse through our archive of previous messages while you're there. And feel free to share them with friends and family. Download our mobile app as well to keep God's Word with you as you go about your daily activities. Pastor Gary has also made available a study guide to accompany his series in Acts. You can find this digital booklet and companion resources under the Teachings tab. Do you live in the Leesburg area or will you be visiting in the near future? If so, we'd like to extend an invitation to join us for our weekly gatherings. We meet each Sunday and Wednesday to spend time in prayer and worship and studying the Bible. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc for service times, more information, and directions. If you can't join us in person, don't worry. We live stream our services. Just click the link under the teachings tab. Thanks for joining us today. And be sure to tune in again for another edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul. That you've got no place to go. But still you know.